0: I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Joshua. We're going to cover two chapters this evening. Two chapters, chapter 20, concerning the cities of refuge, and chapter 21, the cities given to the Levites throughout the tribes. I'll read both of these chapters and would invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'll begin reading in Joshua chapter 20. <clears throat> The Lord also spoke to Joshua saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood and when he flees to the one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city, and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then, if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but not, did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of the one who is high priest in those days, then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountain, the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, and on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho, eastward they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. At six. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood <clears throat> until he stood before the congregation. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands." Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites and the children of Aaron, the priest who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah... And from the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities which are designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And they gave them Kerjoth Arba, Arba was the father of Anak, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, with the common land surrounding it. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb the son of Jephunneh, And his possession. Thus, to the children of Aaron, the priests, they gave Hebron, with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Libna, with its common land, Jatir, with its common land, Eshtemua, with its common land, Holon, with its common land, Debir, with its common land, Ain, with its common land, Judah, with its common land, and Beth Shemesh, with its common land. Nine cities from those two tribes. And from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its common land, Geba with its common land, Anathoth with its common land, and Almon with its common land. Four cities. All the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were thirteen cities with their common lands. And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Kohath, even they had the cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. For they gave them Shechem with its common land in the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge for the slayer, Gazir with its common land, Kibzaim with its common land, and Beth-Horan with its common land, four cities, and from the tribe of Dan, Eltika with its common land, Gibbethon with its common land, Ijalon with its common land, and Goth ramon with its common land. Are you picking up a common refrain? Four cities. And from the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its common land and Gath-Ramon with its common land, two cities. All the ten cities with their common lands were for the rest of the families of the children of Kohath. Also, to the children of Gershon of the families of the Levites, from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, and be eshtarah with its common land, two cities. And from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion with its common land, Dabaroth, with its common land, Jarmuth with its common land, and In Ganim with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Asher, Mishal with its common land, Abon, I'm sorry, Abdon with its common land, Helkoth with its common land, and Rahab with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee, with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Hamath-dor with its common land, and Kartar, Kartan, with its common land. Three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were 13 cities with their common lands. And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam with its common land, Karta with its common land, Dimna with its common land, and Nahalal with its common land. Four cities. And from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its common land, Jehaz with its common land, Kadamoth with its common land, and Mephoth with its common land. Four cities. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Mahanaim with its common land, Heshbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land. Four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot twelve cities. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty-eight cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had its common lands surrounding it. Thus were all the cities. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you tonight. And we would ask that by your word preached... We might gain wisdom and insight, instruction, and, Lord, that you would work in our hearts righteousness and joy even in such ancient things. For your word is alive and at work. It is a sword that pierces our hearts, and we would ask, O Lord, that it would do that work of promoting in us godliness. We ask this in your name. Amen. We had a conversation recently in my house about whether or not you actually read the contract. You know what I mean? Anytime you sign up for something on the internet or on your phone and you scroll, 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 scroll through the bottom all the way. How many of you have ever, even once, read that? Now, I know that when we read sections like this, you may go, oh my goodness. I say it again, and as I've said it before, The scripture for the Israelites was not just something to try to parse out, to bring into a new age. This is contractual writing. This is what gave to the Levites and to the other tribes claim on their territory. And they appealed to this, the very word of God given in order to govern how they were to live. In summary, it's important. Now, to move beyond that, I want to make a statement as it relates to the often discussed topic of separation of church and state. This is how you lose your tax-exempt status if you preach too many of these. My focus is not on an endorsement of the antithesis of the separation of church and state, for I think that biblically speaking there is a reasonable way to explain why the government of the home, the government of the church, and the government of the state all are uniquely instituted and given by God and to be governed by a certain specific set of laws, not wholly distinct, but in their application, unique from one another. Now, despite the fact that I support the idea... Of separation of church and state, there is no division in Scripture of ethics or morality in state, and the laws and the principles that govern the maintenance of the tabernacle and temple have something to say about how society is to be governed and also how our homes are to be governed. And the reason for that is simple: it is the same lawgiver. And as the same lawgiver, our creator, he has a pervading, a pervasive, a overarching desire to promote the lives of those whom he loves and has made in his own image. And so tonight, we're going to look at a tale of two types of cities. The cities of refuge for those who are seeking or fleeing the wrath of unrighteous or of vengeance, unrighteous vengeance or injustice and cities that were established for the promotion of God's grace therefore fleeing the just wrath of God two points then I want to make then today as it relates to these cities the first city protection from the unjust wrath of men Secondly, protection from the just wrath of God and how these two cities both communicate God's intention to bring not only holiness among his people, but to protect the land itself from being defiled. Two points. Protection from the unjust wrath of men. Second, Protection from the just wrath of God. Now, in Numbers chapter 35, we have an even greater, more expanded look at these cities of refuge. Here, it focuses particularly on those who were fleeing in order to get away from the vengeance of a kinsman redeemer who acts on behalf of another who is accidentally killed. We're not talking about murder We're talking about accidental death. In fact, the occasion that the scriptures give earlier, let's say you're chopping wood in the forest, and as you swing back, or maybe you're swinging forward, the axe head comes off, and it strikes your brother, I guess in the face, and it kills him. Whose fault is that? What is required? What is the cause of justice? Well, we actually see what should happen to the manslayer, but in order to prevent needless continued violence, that man or woman who is the slayer is able to flee to one of these six cities of refuge, three on the west side of the Jordan, three on the east side of the Jordan, until it can be seen or an investigation may occur and the congregation comes together to judge whether or not this particular man's slaying is accidental or intentional or premeditated. There is a problem God sees with unjust wrath. In fact, it was the responsibility of the one I've just mentioned, named the kinsman redeemer, who was typically the nearest male relative, who was responsible to protect the family's lives, liberty, property, and so on. We see this in Leviticus chapter 25 and in Numbers chapter 35 and when a life was taken it was the kinsman redeemer who had become the avenger of blood that's a kind of like a title and he was held responsible in cases of murder to put the murderer to death Now one of the things you will not notice in the scripture is any biblical provision for prisons at all There were no prisons the closest thing that we have are cities of refuge. And those were not for the guilty, they were for the innocent. Innocent of, here, capital crimes that warranted what? Death. But in this case, if a man kills another unintentionally, he flees. He goes to the elders of the city and says, Listen, I don't know what's about to happen to me, but it may just be that someone is coming to avenge my blood. Hide me, as it were. Let me go into the city of refuge until the time comes when the congregation can meet for judgment. Or, or and... The one who serves as the highest priest dies. There were some consequences. And one of those was, if you were the manslayer, your life was not forfeit. You were not given over to the one who was avenging. You were protected, but you had to live in that city. And there was another provision within it. That if you were to leave that city and the avenger find you, and he kill you, he was not guilty of murder. So what is the call? The call is to obey God's word with the intention that if men are, well, assuming that men act like men, God provides for the society, for the state, a means of thwarting needless killing. And what is the reason for this that is given? So that there is no blood guilt in the land. This is, in fact, a very important concept in Old Testament law. And it is oftentimes a fact that is neglected in our own laws today. That in order to live righteously before God, it is necessary that a society do whatever is possible to defend the lives of the innocent. And this isn't just for those who are leaders, those who are appointed or elected. It is a matter for the whole congregation. That there is a responsibility for every citizen of Israel here in Joshua chapter 20 to assure themselves, for they have entered into covenant with one another, that no one dies needlessly. We are a far cry from Joshua chapter 20. In fact, fact, the bones of the babies that we have killed in utero could probably build a city. In fact, anthropologists and archaeologists have gone back to these ancient cities in Central and South America And they have seen that the foundations of these pagan temples were built on the bones of the old and the young. And we look at that and go, wow, that's horrific. I guess it's all how you dispose of it. My point in all of that is there is something to be said for blood guilt, And a society that does not endeavor to protect the innocent has much blood upon their hands. To protect the innocent from the unjust wrath of men, God gives here to Israel in the Old Testament laws that are given as an aid to how they should form society to do that very thing. And there are Christians today who would say that we have nothing to glean from these laws. (laughs) Okay. I, I am astounded. And of all the people that should be interested in seeking to wed biblical morality to every aspect of corporate governance, whether it's the family, the church, or the state, we should be looking for opportunities where the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God's word is manifest unto the blessing of our neighbors. In Calvin's commentary, he writes this, Thus God assisted the unfortunate and prevented their suffering the punishment of an atrocious deed when they had not been guilty of it. Meanwhile, respect was so far paid to the feelings of the brethren and kindred of the deceased that their sorrow was not increased by the constant presence of the persons who had caused their bereavement. Lastly, the people were accustomed to detest murder since homicide, even when not culpable, was followed by exile from country and home to the death of the high priest. Now, the connection to the high priest is not incidental or accidental. In fact, in the next chapter, the role and the function of the priest was integral not only to maintaining good moral order as it relates to the house of God, but in order to function as a society wherein righteousness flourishes What must be at the heart of all society? The proclamation of divine law and the provision of divine righteousness in the altar. The law and the gospel that are not mutually exclusive, nor do they compete with one another, but are in fact beautifully brought together even in passages like Joshua 20 and Joshua 21. The priest is central in the life and the welfare of the people of God. Such that the life of the priest himself is connected to those who are culpable. And I think Calvin's principles reflect something of what we call, though it was before the language that was penned by the Westminster Confession, the general equity of the application of the Old Testament law of God. And I think we would do well to not just hear some sort of fancy, redemptive historical, though it isn't, Oftentimes it is used by some ministers as a, see how clever I am? But oftentimes it is absolutely apt. Because the spiritual well-being and the well-ordered society of the saints depends upon the living priest. And of course that living priest whom we have now is Christ. We cannot order a society. We cannot order our church. We cannot order our lives until the ministry of our great high priest is present. But oftentimes I'm interested in application that goes beyond not just understanding how Christ is the fulfillment of Scripture, for we know that to be true. But how do we as Christians who long to bless our neighbors endeavor to live in such a way that the value of human life is manifested in our midst? How do we defend the cause of the innocent? How do we endeavor not to seek unholy vengeance, but to give that to God? How are we to deal with those who are found in such predicaments? Does this kind of stuff happen all the time? It does in our societies. And to whom do we look for instruction as to how to order it? Whom? Not the secularist, but the one who has studied the very law that God has given. It is at least for us a right beginning. So that we might not only serve the one who is the slayer, but also pity the one who has lost, even as Calvin has said. And so this city, these cities of refuge, were a protection, they were a hedge of protection from the unjust wrath of men. And not only that, but there were also 48 cities that were established for the protection and the maintenance of the protection of the just wrath of God. Now, when you hear city, don't think Charlotte, but rather a gathering of people that are in closer proximity than they are, say, in the country. These cities were measured off and each tribe was given the responsibility to carve out from their allotment something for the priests. Now, there are some even here general equity principles, and that is this. There is nothing, nothing in Scripture that supports a monastic order whatsoever. It is, in fact, ungodly For those who endeavor to study the word and to teach the word to separate themselves from daily society. In fact, when Christ says to the disciples, feed my sheep, what does that require? Is there a kind of virtual feeding that can happen? In fact, we learned our lesson recently in this sort of Response to this virus that was afflicting many nations. In fact, I had a discussion with someone just recently about this very thing. The other day, we didn't, when it was cold, we didn't want to start a fire, so we thought it would be clever to turn on our television a recording of a fire. Let me tell you, it's not the same thing, even if it's in HD. There's no heat. Well, maybe there's a little bit of heat coming off the back of the television because the LEDs are lit up. But it's a totally different thing. In the same way, as it relates to the life of those who are called to maintain the house of God, whose inheritance was not in the land, but the house of God, it was essential to nurture the holiness and reverence of God among the people, let the Levites be there with them, interspersed in their daily lives. And not just the lives of those Israelites um, who had not fled, but you see here in chapter 21 that two of those cities of refuge, Levites lived within. In the New Testament we find this application, to go to the widows and the orphans, to go to those who are in prison. We see Christ going to the lepers, those outcasts from society. Where did all of these gospel principles come from in the New Testament? It is just a messianic um, fulfillment of all of these things that we find in the Old. And so everywhere the Israelites went, let's say they went to the Harris Teeter in Gershon. There would be a Levite walking down the produce aisle. How are you doing? And they would commune with one another. And they would check in on their neighbors. It wasn't just so that the Levites understood that their inheritance was not in the land but in the house of God. But so that the right order may continue in the house so they may not be distracted by the normal affairs of the day you see they were to be devoted in fact one of the ways in which this general equity principle is maintained and say a pastoral call that churches often give to pastors is that they promise to give their pastors a wage that is essentially sufficient to free them from worldly care now i don't know about you but I cannot imagine a amount of money in this life where you can be wholly free from all worldly care. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the human heart treasures what? More of what it has. But that principle is put in there because the congregation is saying this. In order to help assist you in focusing upon the ministry of word and the shepherding of souls... We're going to make it so you don't also have to go wash cars or sell vacuum cleaners or some other thing so that you can focus on the affairs of God's covenant with us. We want you to be about the house. We want to make sure that when we come to the tent, the fire of the altar is burning so that we can bring our sacrifices. What happens if the priests cease to do their job? There is no protection from the divine wrath of God. So what is God weaving into the minds and the hearts of the Israelites through the maintenance or the establishment and the right maintenance of these kinds of cities? He is weaving into the lives into the hearts of the Israelites an understanding That he cares not only for their souls, he cares for their lives. And the provision of his covenant of grace is to establish a society of peace with each other, that is man to man, and peace with God. He is fulfilling the two great commandments right here. And he is showing us how to do it. To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To guard the lives of those who bear his image. Now, what does that mean for us? We as a body ought to promote the principles, not only the protection of the human soul, but also the human life. Now, for the church, Christ has actually given us two offices. He has given us the ministry of word that is to be ruled and governed by the session. And they are responsible for the right maintenance of the proclamation of the word of God, such that if there's ever a minister in this pulpit who begins to spew forth false doctrines, the session of that church should say, you're out of here. That belongs to the session. The congregation calls the pastor, but the session is responsible that the truth of God's word is always burning. It is always going forth. And in the same way, the diaconate that is given to the church is given in order to rightly maintain and support the lives of the saints to promote life and good health. These two things are manifested in the church, and they are also to be manifested in our societies. Why? Because this is what God is jealous for. He is jealous for the lives of those who are made after His own image. God hates murder. In fact, in the history of Israel, when the priests found themselves unfaithful in the ministry of the temple, it brought great shame and scandal, and guilt to the whole people. And in fact, even when, say, David the king committed his great sin with Bathsheba and then endeavored to cover it up with murder, it brought great shame and cursing not only in his family, but what? The entire nation. We as a congregation, of the Lord Jesus Christ, should endeavor to walk in such a way that we take the law of God and we say, all right, what is he saying to us in the right order of our homes, of our churches, of our state? All of it should be this. It should be sermonic in form. To exalt the glory of Christ, to be jealous for the souls and bodies of men. Because we live in a day and age where men not only, well, they despise the souls of men, right? How do we have we done that? We are not soul bearing creatures. We reject the origin of the human soul as being given to them by God, which naturally falls out. How? We reject the value of the human body. And we don't know what it's for. And so, dear saints, we ought to seek to erect and preserve institutions and practices, both in our counties, our countries, our churches that not only proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ, that there is an altar where our sins can be forgiven, but we are to take the principle of that redeeming work and we are to apply it to every facet of life. Even in our homes, how are we to do this? Well, parents, what are we to do? We are not to over-discipline, which is always the tendency. That's my tendency. To be jealous for the glory of God at the expense of the hearts of my children. We are to maintain a ministry that promotes life and proclaims grace. Let's pray.